Vaheguru Ji Ka Khalsa, Vaheguru Ji Ka Fateh. This is Jaskaran Singh Sandhu, the Executive Director for the World Sikh Organization of Canada. And you are listening to Episode 3 of Ask Canadian Six the Podcast. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Dr. Jaspreet Korval. Welcome, everyone. Pretty excited for this one? Yeah, I'm excited. It's been a while. It has. It feels like a long time. Oh, uh, every month in the life of a Canadian sick feels like a long month. It's crazy because we were doing our research for the show. Yes. And it's like, hold on. I swear this happened like three months ago. It's like, no, no, no. That was literally last week. Yep, yep. And uh, time, time, I guess, moves fast when you're having fun. Sure. Let's yeah, go with I think one. that's what it is. Um, so we actually have a really jam-packed show. We're going to be talking about uh, quite a few things. So first and foremost, we're going to be talking about the terror report. Uh, that you know, somewhat of a conclusion to that, not entirely, but we're going to be joined by Balpreet Singh, our legal counsel, for at least that segment. Uh, we're going to be talking about Indian interference in Canada and against Canadian Six. There's been a couple of news stories on that recently. Uh, we'll be speaking about Nagarkeetans. Uh, you know, there was a bomb threat at yeah. one. There yep. was our our soldiers, our our sick military it's more uh, than soldiers. Just free WSO balloons. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, Those are the real danger of Nagarkeetan, are the bread party and cholesterol <laughs> levels. It's, uh, I, I have to admit this, just in the, for transparency's sakes, yes. I, I do seek out where the bread pakoda are. Like, that's the first thing I do when I go to Nagarkeetan. Makes sense. And I know that's not the point, but I just have to admit that. Um, the India election. The six six have been coming up quite a bit in the India election. We're, we're playing a very pivotal role uh, in uh, the national conversation of India election. That does have an implication uh, for Canadian six. Uh, and last but not least, we'll be joined uh, by Kalsa A to speak about uh, their Lapata uh, gallery event that has been doing a phenomenal job in getting the word out uh, across the country about the disappearances in the Sikh community. So with that, we'll be uh, talking about the terror report after the jump. It's hard to believe that the terror report, something that has driven the sick psyche conversation here in Canada for uh, since December, uh, was actually at least concluded in, in its very preliminary state. Uh, the solution was found, at least on a very preliminary level, just earlier this month. Uh, we're joined here by legal counsel Balpreet Singh, uh, for legal counsel for the World Sick Organization, to speak about this to some length. Uh, Balpri Singh, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, as always, uh, you're a very much welcome guest here. Thank you. Um, so the terror report, we have spoken about this uh, to, uh, quite a bit. Uh, there is a bonus episode of Asking the Sick podcast uh, where we have almost an hour and a half conversation about it, specifically about the terror report. You can go and listen to that on um, uh, any podcast player that you use, Anchor, uh, Apple, Google, whatever it is. So I don't want to get too caught up in like the chronological details of the terror report. What I'm interested in is essentially three things. You know, the root causes of, of why it happened, now looking back in, uh, with, the, with the power of hindsight, um, the, the campaign and the community response to it, uh, which has recently been criticized as like uh, a somewhat of a, of a show of strength or uh, a disproportionate amount of strength in the Sikh community in dealing with this issue. Uh, and thirdly, you know, there was a recent report from, uh, that Minister Freeland was briefed uh, well before the India trip about Sikh extremism and pandering to the Indian government. So where do we go next now that the terror report, the language has been somewhat solved? So yeah, uh, I think in mid-December, uh, when this public safety report on the terrorist threat to Canada was released, we were the first ones to note that for the first time, uh, it included a section on Sikh bracket Khalistani extremism. 
and there was absolutely nothing that happened in 2018 besides the Trudeau trip to India, which would justify the inclusion of six in this report. And the content of the report also had nothing. So I think once again, you saw the Sikh community come together, regardless of your political affiliations and all that, uh, to say, wait a second, this is completely unnecessary, unacceptable, and why is our community being targeted again? And I think we saw persistent uh, pressure, escalating pressure, and finally it resulted in the government taking out references to Sikhs and Khalistanis. And uh, let's be honest, I mean, the section still is there, but it contains no reference to Sikhs or Khalistanis. It talks about extremists using violent means to create a separate state in India. And I think what caught a lot of people's attention, uh, both within and outside the Sikh community, was the unity in the voice uh, from the community. Uh, you know, major gurdwaras, major organizations, and individuals came together almost in, in a single voice to protest the terror report. Uh, and I, I'm kind of citing a, uh, a article in the National Pulse from uh, Tom Blackwell uh, titled, Terror Report Could Trigger Seismic Shift in Sikh Political Leanings Impact Next Election. This, this article came really shortly before... Uh, the correction was made to the report. Uh, and just quoting from it, but bearing a significant change of tune by the federal government over the next week, this year's edition will impose an unprecedented policy. Unless certain demands are met, Liberal MPs will be barred from speaking uh, from its stages, and this is in reference to Suri Nargitin's stages, on April 20th, says organizer Mandinder Singh. How important do you think was that ICTA from the community and responding to this? And what do you say about that progressive escalation of uh, demands or just community advocacy uh, to eventually get the change, which took almost four or five months? I think it showed the power of the community. I thought it showed that this isn't a faction that opposed this uh, reference to Sikh extremism. It was the community at large. Um, I think that the government has tried to play both sides. I think during the India trip, it showed that it's willing to appease the Indian government, even though it was being slapped right, uh, right and center uh, by the Indian government by sending out the agriculture minister to greet Trudeau and just overall just bullying them. Uh, but when it came to the Sikh community, we were still getting the message, no, no, we understand, we're with you as a community. But when we saw this extremism reference, it was completely unjustified and it hurt. Uh, it hurt because this is a government that has tried to say it's a friend of six, has shown that it's willing to include six, but it just isn't seeming to get the message from the community that stand up for us, that this isn't okay. The Indian government's not honest when it's bringing up this issue of Sikh extremism. And uh, I think finally push came to shove and the community said this has to go and a line was drawn. Yeah, and there's a story from the Canadian press where you're quoted um, once the correction was made. Uh, and I'm just quoting from here, Balpreet Singh, the lawyer for the World Sikh Organization in Canada, said the original report was, quote, deeply harmful and insensitive, end quote, and welcomed the government's decision to change it as an, a quote again, acknowledgement that there was a mistake that was made, end quote. Uh, and it ends here by saying, but he, uh, talking about yourself, Balpreet Singh, said the change took too long and required too much effort from the community. Is that a sentiment shared by folks uh, across the community in, in dealing with this? Well, look, uh, the first date com comes out, WSO puts out a press release saying that, you know, this is unacceptable. 
shortly after, like the very next weekend, like a couple days later, uh, organizations come together from across British Columbia, Ontario, to say, we want a meeting with the minister. This meeting takes a long time to happen. It finally happens in uh, late January. And from late January until, you know, until essentially the report was uh, changed, we don't hear anything from the minister. So uh, there's a progressive escalation. We had the Ask Canadian Six panels in which we talked about uh, this report. And then after that, we had the community town hall in Brampton, uh, which was amazingly well attended. 400 plus was the official count. And then finally, we had this threat that politicians will be banned from stages at Nagarkirtans. And I think collectively it showed that the community hasn't forgotten and it's taken too long and the government reacted. It's just too bad it had to go through all that struggle in order to act. I think part of the advocacy uh, that stood out to me at least was how aggressive the Punjabi speaking media engagement was. Uh, yourself was, or you, you did quite a few interviews, uh, folks from the OGC, OSGC, folks from out in BC and Alberta as well. Um, have you ever seen a, a almost unified media offensive of that sort of way that, that kind of just was bubbling up from a grassroots perspective? Like this was happening regardless of whether or not we were going on these shows. Yeah, I mean, from a top level, I've never seen uh, such cooperation among Sikh organizations before. Uh, and on the grassroots level, it was the average Sikh, the average Punjabi saying, this hurts me as an individual. So it was quite remarkable to see. Um, and the media was filled with these stories. I did a lot of talk shows, and this was really the talk of the town. And for that reason, the government had to move. Going back uh, to a comment you made earlier about how the Canadian government made an effort to almost pander to the Indian government. Uh, we realize now through declassified briefing notes that were provided to uh, Minister Freeland, uh, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, that uh, there were suggestions made for you know economic reasons, uh, for the importance that India plays at a, at a regional level as a growing power, um, that you know, there, there should be some maneuvering and, you know, they don't use the word, but it sounded a lot like pandering on the Sikh extremism file to protect that relationship. Was that your reading of uh, that article and, and that briefing note? Clearly, I mean, they agreed to appease India on the Sikh extremism file. Uh, even though Sikhs have been screaming out for years that if you see Sikh extremism, then prove it, uh, the government decided to appease India by saying, okay, we hear you, we're working on it. And that's not what we want to see. Uh, you know, I can agree or disagree with many policies that Stephen Harper had, but his November 2012 statement in India, which was that, you know, what you're talking about, India, is not extremism. People have the right to have political expression, whether that's about independence or something else. That was welcomed across the board, and that was what we expected from this government. And that's not what we heard. It was trying to appease the Sikh community, is trying to appease the Indians, and in the process of doing that, I don't think they've uh, made anyone happy. I think they've probably made a lot of people very unhappy with them. And we'll get to this point a little later, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, uh, just for your uh, But at the end of the day, we are citizens of this country, uh, and you're supposed to speak for your citizens. Uh, and in here, it, it's overwhelmingly uh, the fact that our citizens are concerned about human rights violations and, and similar issues in India, and that our government takes strong positions on that. Uh, but there was a, a 
a quote uh, from an academic here in the National Post article that uh, broke this briefing note uh, by Douglas uh, Kwan. Again, the article is called Canada uh, Takes Sick Extremism Seriously Memo to Freelance Ad Before India Trip. Uh, there's this one quote towards the end from this academic uh, who says, the perception problem is a real one and a consequential one. There are two established, these are two established democracy. India shares a lot of the same values. There is a large Indian diaspora within Canada. Trade potential is enormous. I personally had a big issue with that paragraph uh, because it's, it's equating a lot of things that I think the mistake that mainstream media here makes as well, that, well, India is a democracy. You know, they have freedom of press. They share similar values. They share pluralism and, and uh, you know, free speech and, and all these other kind of uh, values that we hold dear here in Canada. But I think objectively speaking, like empirically speaking, and just speaking from our personal experience as minorities in those countries, in that country of India, I think it's pretty safe to say that comparing Canada's democracy to India's or comparing Indian values to Canadians is actually very faulty uh, logically. 100%. Uh, comparing Canada to India is very problematic. I mean, India tries to pride itself as being a democracy, but... Uh, I mean, lynching of minorities on the streets, uh, the rise of Hindutva terror. Yeah, and uh, the lynching happening under the eyes of the government. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, even promoted in some senses by members of the government. It's all very problematic and it would be unheard of here in Canada. The use of media as a propaganda tool, I mean, to some extent maybe, but to the extent that it's happening in India is actually quite shocking. But what really hurts the most is that this government in February 2018 signed a cooperation agreement uh, to share intelligence with India. And that was a huge problem because Indian security forces, intelligence, they can't get visas to come to Canada because of their human rights abuses. Uh, and that's uh, well known. But you're going to be sharing intelligence with them. You're going to be telling them about sick activists here in Canada. And that is actually the root of this uh, uh, report and its inclusion of sick bracket cost on terrorism. It's this framework for sharing intelligence and that really has opened up the channels and there's been a flood of this pressure on RCMP and CSIS to you know clamp down on sick terror and I don't think that our guys on the ground, the RCMP and CSIS guys know that there's an agenda behind that and I don't think that they are really understanding what's going on. Well, another major pillar of any democracy is the freedom of press, and that is something that we, we compare often with other democracies. Uh, in the case of India, uh, with Reporters Without Reporter has a, a ranking they put out every year about press freedom. India is 140th place. It's nestled between South Sudan and Algeria. And, you know, the bastions of free press like Afghanistan and Myanmar are, are actually ranked above India. Uh, Indian media is used as a tool to propagate uh, the agenda of the government of India. In the inability for Canada to use uh, a critical lens when analyzing information coming from the media is somewhat worry worrisome. Well, the intelligence committee that investigated Trudeau's trip to India, it actually found, uh, I mean, a lot of it's redacted, and I've said this before, but it found evidence of planted news stories and the media was just one part of this entire strategy to 
uh, essentially humiliate Canada during this trip, and it was humiliated by uh, the Sikh community. So, I mean, Indian media is not independent. It's not like the media you have here. Uh, it is very much a tool in the hands of, uh, I guess, Indian government interests. So just before, I, I, I want to throw this question to you because there was a piece uh, by J.J. McCullough, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, who wrote a op-ed for the Washington Post uh, talking about sick influence mm -hmm. and almost like this undue, suspicious, dubious sick influence that uh, has a stranglehold on Canadian politics. And you he pulls from uh, various uh, quote-unquote sources uh, but he's he's tapping into that kind of frustration that Arminder Singh, or Captain Arminder Singh, uh, who's this chief minister in Punjab, you know, he himself has said this, and I'm, I'm quoting from an article from the Times of India, um, where Arminder Singh says, uh, you know, and I'm quoting from the story, Singh protested the Trudeau administration decision, saying it, quote, succumbed to domestic political pressure. And J.J. McCullough's piece, and other commentators have said this too, where Sikhs have an undue political influence on decision-making, yeah. I personally think that's fraught with a lot of issues. Yeah, first of all, I don't want to give uh, JJ McCullough more of a platform than he already has. So this becomes one of those like, do I respond to him and and give him more authority than he has? So if you're listening, uh, JJ McCullough, look him up. Look what he look at the kind of stuff that he writes, and you'll understand why um, he kind of disqualifies himself as a credible writer. Um, but this argument that we um, have more power than we should is not an argument. This is like anti-oppression 101. You can't say that about a minority community. So in order to have oppressive powers, in order to have power that is damaging, there's two things that you need. You need to have a prejudice or you need to have whatever your action is, and then it needs to be supported by power. Um, minority communities don't have um, the money, the representation, the history, um, being on the more power, the benefiting end of colonization, we don't have any of those things. So our representation, when it is over, you can have two communities that have over-representation. The action doesn't happen in a vacuum. In and of itself, it's not um, inherently good or bad. So like, if white people have over-representation, we can say that that is not a good thing because they are overrepresented, because we live in white supremacy, because of all of the systems we live in. When people of color have overrepresentation, even though it feels like the same thing, you have to see it in its context, which is something that should be celebrated. Um, and to try and put minority communities in their place for successfully organizing a campaign where they got to speak to what their experience is, that's, that's a toxic argument. Well, and also fails to understand the math, right? Because one of the things that they, they suggest is, in writers like JJ and others, that, well, six have an undue influence in the political process, uh, in the numbers of MPs they have, in ministers, and you know, so on and so on. And yes, if you look at, at as almost like an aggregate of the entire population, yeah, six are only, what, 2% of Canada's population. That is true. However, the system we use to elect our officials you know, with electoral writings as members of parliament that are sent to Ottawa, that's done on the basis, again, of electoral writings. Yep. And when you break it down, like cities like Brampton, uh, cities like Surrey, and you know, places like Northeast Calgary or Millwoods and Edmonton or, or you know, various other electoral writings across the country, we actually form 
a very closely to a, like a majority or very close to a majority or at least the largest minority group um, of the total voting population of those ridings. So it's only natural that we will have an ability to send a lot of MPs from our community. Absolutely. And okay. all, yeah, all of the lobbying that SIX did, um, especially with this, this is, I hope if this becomes a case study for how minority communities can get stuff done. Um, everything that the SIC community did was above board were democratic pathways that are available to every minority community. Instead of trying to shut us down, you should be trying to raise every minority community so they also call their MPs, so they also have radiothons, so they also organize panels, so they also bring this into their um, city halls and they make this an issue. This is not a case of... Canada and politicians pandering to the Sikh community. This is the Sikh community using every democratic pathway available to them, and it should be something that we encourage other minority communities to do. For those of you paying attention, India is uh, going through a national Lok Sabha election, and indications are, at least from sitting over here, that you know Modi is potentially coming back, maybe not as big of a majority. However, saying that Indian politics and elections are very uh, unpredictable. But it has been interesting to watch these elections from the perspective of Canadian Sikh, because not only has Indian domestic politics driven a lot of conversation about our community here in Canada, you know, the terror report conversation being a good one, it also has really spent a lot of time on Sikhs. And Punjab. Mm -hmm. uh, just because, have you been following Indian, Indian elections? I have been. It's so important to Six in Canada. Um, the things that have like come up across my feed and in our conversations are this. Uh, suddenly, the BJP using the language of genocide. There's a lot like of with enthusiasm. Yeah. They're using like this they're... at the same time that they're using the word riots, right? So yeah. like they got some of it, but they didn't get all of it. But I, I think like the like the fact that they're using genocide so openly for domestic politics. Yes. So again. The, the genocide happened under the Congress government. Yeah. The Congress and the BJP are like, they're at each other's necks. Yeah. They're eternal enemies of each other. The Congress, at least in principle, espouses like this pluralistic, secular democracy that's a little bit center-left. The BJP is like a Hindu nationalist yeah. party. Uh, and they hate each other. But for domestic political purposes, the BJP loves talking about 1984 and, and using the word genocide. Yeah. Whereas over here, out, out in the West, in the diaspora, it's just it's the same government that, and the Congress is no better, but this is the same government trying to say we're extremists for talking about genocide. And this is the weird thing, is that um, you would think that um, the sixth stance would be to go against a right-wing Hindu nationalist government, but we fare better under them than we do under Congress because they are, and as horrible as it is, they're more interested in oppressing Muslims. And so they end up being the party that's better for six. But mm -hmm. even them, they're not, they don't have a stronghold on Punjab right now. No. And so there was this really interesting article that came out. Um, the Quint uh, is a kind of like an independent um, kind of like news outlet in India. Um, they exist. They exist. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's under Bloomberg. Like, independent is, is a loose word. Like, yeah. They're not associated with any like, the traditional uh, Indian media. 
um, and they, they come from things with a, a little bit more of uh, how we may absorb news here. Uh, mm -hmm. Not saying that there's not issues. I think all mainstream media in India needs to be treated with a certain amount of suspicion. Mm -hmm. However, they had this article called Punjab is the only Modi Mukt state. Mm -hmm. And these five charts mm -hmm. show why. And the real interesting takeaway, and this did travel a little bit on social media and what you have you, is that out of all religious groups, Modi is most disliked by Sikhs, mm -hmm. which I found interesting because you hear it a lot of times from folks from India um, that, oh, you, you kids here in the diaspora, you don't get it. You know, over there, no one has any issues with these, these things. Yeah. No one has issues with Hinduvatta. No one has issues with like the RSS. You guys are just making shit up. Yeah. But empirically speaking, no one hates Modi more than the Sikhs. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting. And a lot of the speaking points that these guys are using don't are falling flat on Punjab. Like issues of national security, yeah. it's the least important issue uh, relative to all other states in Punjab. Yeah. And I, I find that really interesting. And you can see in the same article, uh, in 2017, um, the BJP had their worst performance ever in Punjab, and it's lowest in 25 years. So they are definitely losing some of their... Um, credential in Punjab and then you do see that like words that weren't used before weren't admitting that Punjab had been attacked we're trying to bury um, the genocide they're now all of a sudden embracing these terms as like a last-ditch effort to try and get six on board yeah and, and, and the Punjab hasn't been buying into the whole communal stuff from the mm. BJP like they haven't been buying to and there's quotes here from folks and, and they kind of they talk about this about well you know, yeah, sure, it, the BJP may be focused on, on the Muslim community more than any other, the Christians. It's not that big of a leap before they start looking at us. Yep. And, and mm -hmm. that type of uh, mentality does still exist in Punjab, where it, it's a free-thinking state. Yeah. Again, relative speaking, and I, I, I'm also mindful that I'm not in India. I, I don't live and breathe India the way some locals would. Uh, so you can take a little bit of what I say with, uh, with a grain of salt, but at least from the perspective of us over here in Canada especially when we're dealing with a lot with the Indian government lately, I did yeah. find this really interesting. And, and it kind of does explain a bit about how India acts globally with minority communities like ours. And if the, if the BJP is invested in a sovereign India that is completely ethnically homogenous, religiously uh, homogenous, um, they are going to keep treating... Six outside of India as a threat and keep trying to envelop six inside of India into um, a Hindu framework. And we have our elections coming up as well. So then the question is, what does it look like after both countries have their elections? And what does that relationship look like when we've seen what Trudeau's government does with Modi's government? We've already seen round one. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit more international attention right now on the the far right nationalist brand mm -hmm. that the BJP has taken, right? And we've been seeing the rise of the far right nationalist movements across the world, and the BJP is one iteration of that. They actually are fielding a candidate uh, who is out on bail on terrorism yes. charges. Yes. Uh, her name is I might brutally pronounce this, but Pragya Thakur, mm -hmm. uh, who's a, who is a a recognized Hindu right-wing terrorist yep. who's saying crazy things on the campaign field. Like, this is crazy by Indian standards. Yeah. <laughs> um, so super crazy. And, uh, like, again, and this is a candidate that's backed openly by the RSS who have, a, who have an operations here known as the HSS. So mm -hmm. there's domestic play here. The yeah. RSS does have a domestic play here in Canada. And there is support that goes from here back to India for the BJP openly. You see a little bit more attention on this. And this kind of ties into a tweet that went around uh, from the BJP's official account, uh, and they said 
and I'm quoting here, we will ensure the implementation of NRC in the entire country. We will move every we will remove every single infiltrator from the country except Buddha, Hindus, and Sikhs. And this came from their VP uh, Amit Shah. So this is a party that openly talks about like elements of genocide. Yeah. Like who are the infiltrators in? It's Muslim and Christian communities. That's yeah. what they're trying That's to allude to. That's basically what they said. Um, and they're and that doesn't mean like the Sikhs or Buddhists or others are you know free from uh, a pressure or, or or hate from this uh, from the BJP or the Hindu nationalists. But their strategy differs with Sikhs or other minority religions. Yeah, of that. I think it's assimilation. It's more with of Sikhs. assimilation. Yeah. That's what it is, yeah. right? And. So you're seeing this openly from this party. You're seeing a lot more uh, interest from major mainstream media outlets about this rise of this right wing. Yeah. So I feel like if Moldy does win and comes back, there's going to be a lot more critical analysis of I, that. I also think Six fare worse under assimilation because we can't point at our enemy. And Yeah, we, that's a fair argument. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with it. And well, at the same time, he hasn't been succeeding in Punjab. Yeah, so true, it, it, true, right? Sometimes it, sometimes I'm too quick to write off Punjab. We're, like, Punjab and then you're like, like, we're, we're enigma sometimes. It, yeah, it's look at that to, Quint article. Is it does a really good job of breaking I think down so. numbers. Yeah. Uh, Time, international at least, their main story, uh, their, their cover page story was, can the world's largest democracy endure another five years of a Modi government? Mm-hmm. And they're openly talking about this Hindu nationalist movement that has a threat of splitting the country apart. Right, mm-hmm. because it's a brand of majoritarianism, populist rule that yeah. can that is dangerous. Like we've seen lynching, we just talked about it earlier in the show. We've seen a lot of rise of violence. We've seen a rise of hate crime. We've we've seen a rise of vigilante type like mob violence. Yeah, um, vigilante is the wrong word. Just mob, senseless mob violence, uh, and you're seeing a direct attack on minority groups. Uh, so the India election is something that everyone should be paying attention to. Uh, because it does have implications for us here in Canada. The time cover refers to Modi as India's divider in chief, which it's a, it's a good term. It's a hell of a title. Yeah. So why do we care about governments in India? Because the Indian government loves to interfere in Canada. And there was this recent bombshell of a report um, that the Indian government pressured then uh, leader of the Ontario government, Patrick Brown, uh, in his decision-making about sick candidates uh, in nomination processes. Yes. So there is a direct in- Indian interference in the electoral process of Canada, but there's other examples as well. And just before, I think yeah. you've done a personally a ton of research yes. on this. I, so this was the article that came out was about the uh, when Patrick Brown was the then leader of the provincial conservatives and uh, people from the Indian consulate who are acting at this point without consequences uh, were saying, you know, this this candidate should, uh, because they're Khalistani, should not uh, be here. And Indian government just outright is saying, we want this person in provincial politics, we don't want this person in provincial politics. And the I know the uh, Global Mail broke the story officially, unofficially, I had heard about this as it happened throughout the community. Unofficially, we are we're, we're hearing things about this in multiple writings. Yes. And the so there's this. There's the example of the Indian consulate interfering in Brampton. Um, yes, for Kara Bram. For Kara Bram, saying yeah. that there should be different pavilions for... Well, I was actually sitting in the mayor's office at yeah. that time. I, I was an employee of the mayor's office yeah. while this happened, and I helped draft the letter from the mayor's office. I went to Global Affairs, raising the red flag on this interference. Uh, and what happened there was... Brampton has this heritage festival, cultural festival, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not Nash country-based. It's actually cultural-based. Yeah. And so... Uh, uh, that year, this is about now two years ago, 
uh, organizers wanted to put together a Punjab pavilion. And it was actually organizers from uh, like East West Punjab. Like it was everyone. There was people from multiple different religions. Um, and I know these guys personally. None of these guys are quote unquote separatists or Khalistanis of the sort. Yeah. Um, and not only did they receive undue pressure from the consulate, the organizers of Karabam at large did. And the organizers of Karabam, they're just like, they're random people. They're not South Asian. Yeah. So they don't... <laughs> they they didn't understand no what idea. was going on. They're, they <laughs> were shocked that a consulate would actually care. Yes. Like, they were totally shocked by this. Eventually, you know, uh, everyone kind of ignored uh, the Indian consulate. They threatened them. They said, we know people in Trudeau's office who will close you guys down. Like, it was ludicrous. And... Eventually, uh, a letter went from the mayor's office to, Glo- uh, to Global Affairs. Eventually, that news broke in Global yeah. Mail. And uh, the, the office of uh, the Global Affairs and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, chastised the Indian government, saying, you know, shame on you. That's not good. Uh, but there's other examples as well. You know, Gyan Singh in his book, The Uncommon Road. Yeah, uh, so Gyan Singh Sandhu uh, wrote the book, The Uncommon Road. And in there, he uses... Um, a lot of different examples, but uh, the Indian consulate um, and the embassy are like spy hives. We've had folks coming in. And again, always sound like a conspiracy theorist when I'm talking about Banthak politics, but um, Indian government invests so much time and so much money into who we are as Sikhs, and especially who we are as a Sikh community here. And that was late 80s. Um, right, it was yeah. late 80s. Yeah, and uh, the WSO at that point had those folks pointed out and had them expelled. And so we have, um, like, just in the examples we've cited on this podcast, we have the Indian government interfering in municipal politics in Brampton. We have them interfering in provincial politics with Patrick Brown. We have them interfering in federal politics with the incident of the terror report. Every level of Canadian government is uh, susceptible to interference from the Indian government, and they know it. They know it, and they're really well at, uh, they're calculated at doing it. Um, we've also had um, Minister Freeland say that we know with the upcoming um, election in Canada that we are a target, as is every developed country, we're a target for international interference. I think when you put those two things in conversation with each other, our upcoming election, and the fact that we know, we know that the Indian government is going to interfere, everyone needs to be a little bit more um, vigilant, everyone needs to have their eyes open to what are they going to do and how are we going to stop it? Um, and one of the things that, it's a small step, I think it's an important step, the Toronto Star has made the Star uh, free to all college and university students and college and university professors. So if you're in the post-secondary world in any which way, get yourself a free subscription. That's just one. Whatever you subscribe to, fact check things. Become um, a critical consumer of media and keep your eyes open for make noise about this let people know that the Indian government is constantly interfering with every level of government we have and let's do something about it April is a time when we see Vasaki Nargitans across the country uh, this year Suri Nargitan which is probably the largest Nargitan in the, one of the largest in the world yeah. definitely outside of Punjab uh Estimated 600,000 people this year. Yeah. Uh, Toronto Nargitin, uh, I think, was less than 100,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malta Nargitin was up to 200,000. It's pretty amazing. So you have very large Nargitins across the country. It's a time of a lot of excitement in the community, uh, time to you know really uh, dive into our rich uh, history and celebrate our, our identity yeah. and, and celebrate that and, and share it with the rest of the community. Mm-hmm. It's also a time... When, uh, in this case, I, I, I think a white supremacist would threaten to 
put a pressure cooker bomb. Yeah, it's something that they wrote on social media. Um, so this was during the Surrey Nagarkitan. They posted in quotes, imagine what one pressure cooker bomb could have done. They said, uh, end quote, they said that it was a missed opportunity. So, you know, 600,006 in one place. Yeah. 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 It'd be a pretty powerful pressure cooker bomb. And, and like, have you met us? We don't go away that <laughs> easily. <laughs> no, but it's kind of scary though, what is, right? What is one, one white guy going to do that the Indian government couldn't do with yeah, all yeah. their resources? Well, it, it's, it, it's something we've been talking about. A while. We've talked about it on the show yeah. a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, we, oh, and we, I'm joking about it, but it's very oh, serious. Oh, yeah, yeah. That no, and I, I think yeah. as a community, we like to make jokes about stuff. Yeah. Myself, in, myself included. Yes. Um, and you, that sometimes when you're when you're up against genocide multiple times throughout your history, you yes. develop a certain yes. sense yes. of humor. But having said that, it, it, I think it is a, a, a serious threat to not just our community, many others, about this rise of white supremacy and white nationalist yes. movements. And, and the RCMP did follow up on this yes. as a real threat, which is important. And so it's just a manifestation of what we've been talking about for a while. And we also said, no, what should be the real emphasis of the terror report is the rise of the far, like, yes. white, far right white nationalist This, movement. like, we're actually able to show you proof that there is uh, white supremacy and right wing terrorism in Canada. They have not been able to, like, this kind of demonstrable proof doesn't exist for Sikh Khalistani terrorism. Right. And then... All we do with our pressure cookers is make dal. Yeah. yeah. Ex exactly. Yeah. Ex that's all that we do with that. That's all we do. Uh, but it did go around quite a bit. And yes. I think community was somewhat concerned. And yes. I, I think it will lend itself to more vigilance and more security for the next round of large Nagarkitans across the country. Yes. Um, and it also speaks to a, a sort of growing movement, uh, uh, especially in the Muslim community, the Jewish community, and the Sikh community, of beefing up religious spaces. Yes. Right? I think there's some funding now from the federal government as well mm -hmm. uh, for religious institutions to spend more on security. Mm. Uh, we've been seeing examples of increased vandalism, yeah. whether that's Kelowna, Gurdwara, whether it's multiple synagogues yeah. and mosques. Uh, we've the mosque seen, shooting in Quebec. In, in mosque yeah. shooting in Quebec, the yeah. recent mosque shooting out in uh, New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, you're seeing a trend where religious institutions, especially from minority communities, are becoming a target. Yeah. Right? And so how do we keep that all in mind? Yeah. Um, and especially large gatherings like the Nargitan. And, and, we do, and the thing is, Sikhs are not going to get scared. I mean, we knew that uh, what Indira Gandhi was going to do in 1984, and everyone still went to the Sahib that day. Even if we know that there is danger at our Nagarkitans, we still show up in force. We don't. We refuse to stop celebrating who we are. Um, so yeah. So I think we do need to have very serious conversations about how to make sure we stay safe in those spaces. So out on the west coast, they were dealing with this situation. Meanwhile, meanwhile, over yeah. in Toronto, as the National Post puts it, military on defensive after soldiers wrongly given guns for sick parade. That's quite the title. It is inaccurate. Well, or. I, I guess so. But like that picture. Yes. It's a Describe picture. it for our listeners. It, yeah. The picture yeah. is, I'm not even looking at it physically. I yes, can literally yes, yes. remember it. Oh, we uh, all can remember it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a picture of like four or five good looking dudes. Yes. Right. They look so handsome in this picture and they they have their flowing beards. Yep. They have Fully the, in their they have the, the stars, full out yeah. combat gear. They're carrying the big guns, um, but they're very casually strolling with their weapons yes. as a group. Yes. Um, and it looks badass. Yeah. It really does. And people really liked it. And people were sharing it left, right, and center. And it was a moment of pride 
not just for the Sikh community, but also you know folks that are, are proud. Also, proud to of add the add for the to the voice of the those critical Sikhs. That We're only allowed to be proud of our military. <laughs> who critic? We also welcome critically questioning the participation of Sikhs in colonial institutions. But continue. Yeah. No. Look, I think it's fair to have uh, criticism, critiques, and debate within yes. your community. Within yes. I I would say though overwhelmingly, people yes. were proud to see yes. that picture. they were interested in it. They were proud yes. of it. Yes. Uh, yeah, maybe that's a better word. They were interested yes. in it. It, yeah. it, 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 was, it was actually noteworthy. This picture gets in the hands of uh, Tariq Fatah, and he tweets it out. Now, yeah. he doesn't tweet it out on the pretext of these people are not following uh, regular military practice. Which about, is what the conversation then became. Yes, what, yeah. it, what the conversation evolves into. Yeah. Because there's a certain protocol about how you're supposed to march in civilian uh, parades. Uh, you need a certain uh, green, li- green lighting process. Yeah, and they also, I mean, I learned all this after, but your guns have to be held in a certain direction. Yeah, and, they, and you got to march in a certain way. And there's if you're protocol. Not, yeah, there's protocol yeah. That, that should normally be followed, but there is exceptions to the protocol. There are multiple exceptions. And, and we'll get to that. But Tarek, uh, he takes this photo, he tweets it out, and his angle is, Look at Trudeau ghettoizing our military. Mm. That's essentially the angle he mm. takes. Um, that this is an affront to the Canadian military. Look at all these scary-looking guys holding guns, and they're making our military in a ghetto. Yes. Now, that uncritically, that tweet was taken uncritically mm-hmm. by mainstream journalists. Yes. Uh, Some who, of whom don't have ill intentions. No, no. Yeah. I just don't think... I think what they saw was, oh, protocol wasn't followed. Yeah. So they, they lift this tweet, they retweet it, they yeah. pop it into their news stories, yeah. furthering his racist yeah. message. And now what an image, right? An image that the Sikh community might have looked at with pride is now guys with turbans and guns held in the wrong direction. Yeah. yeah. And, and so there was blowback on, well, protocol wasn't followed and, you know... The argument was made by Balpreet Singh uh, from the World Sikh Organization and others that, like, if these were white soldiers, no one would care. Yeah. And, and those yeah. blow back to that comment. Like, yeah. oh, no, no, no. Protocol wasn't followed. Protocol is very serious. Uh, to which I personally responded, well, okay, well, let's play a little game. That's hilarious. Yeah. Here's four pictures. Follow Discount Singh on social media if you want yeah. to see these pictures. Yeah. J Singh underscore zero one, a shelfless, uh, shameless plug. Um, so here's four pictures. Compare and contrast these four pictures, only one of these cause an outrage. And they're all four, almost literally the similar pictures. Yes. Like, there's guys talking, like, big, huge guns, Guns casually, in the wrong direction. Like, like, just yeah. having a great time with their weapons. NHL games. Yeah. Yeah. Like, literally mock battles in an NHL game, yeah. marching in a parade. I saw the video of the one of the guys descending from the ceiling during yeah, an NHL yeah, yeah. game with his gun out. Well, the Calgary Stampede has, like... Full military guy just walking around casually with guns, yeah. multiple tanks rolling yeah. through the streets, like armed and ready to go. Yeah. Never a peep from any of this. And yeah. if anything, an immense pride from like yeah. the mainstream community. But when it's our boys, it's all yes. of a sudden, yes. okay, hold on. This needs to be, this is worthy of deep investigation. Yes. And uh, I think like when you take a community response to things, like if uh, the, the community response was, what they did, they sh- it should be held to the same standard as white soldiers. Yeah. And do we know enough about what if, if what they did was right or wrong? That's for them to investigate internally. The standard that we can hold folks to is what would happen if a white person did this? And again, that's something that came across very differently. Can I just also add a, mm-hmm. a PSA to... Uh, for six in our community, every time something goes wrong um, with the liberal government, 
these newspapers find the worst possible picture of Justin Trudeau with like a guy in a pangra outfit taking a selfie with him, someone holding him really close, the 12 people trying to take a selfie with him at the Nagarkitan. Bentia uh, to the Sikh community, stop taking selfies with Justin Trudeau. Just whatever you're doing, think about how that image is going to end up in a headline in a newspaper later on and preserve your dignity and maybe crowd around Gurgan Saib Ji instead of crowding around Justin Trudeau for a selfie. Just some food for thought. That's what we do here at Ask Canadian Sex. Well, I, I, you know what? I think if you brought on Prime Minister Trudeau yes. or other people that would get swarmed in these things, they'll say the same thing you just said. Yeah. That the point is not us as an attraction. We're coming as community members. Yes. And as elected officials here to serve you. Yeah. Don't swarm us. Yes. In this. It's disrespectful to what people are there for. Yeah. Um, a real side tangent, but uh, there was a Saki on the Hill in Ottawa, right one after the, the election of the Trudeau government. And it was embarrassing how much people were swarming around. Yeah. Not only uh, the prime minister, but our ministers. And everyone there, like, yeah. including liberals and staffers, were like, this This is kind of, this looks bad. It's embarrassing. Uh, it's embarrassing. So they, anyways, wa- they want our community support. They would like our votes. Let them come to us. Let them come to us with dignity. And Photoshop <laughs> yourself into the picture afterwards. Having said this... This is something I've personally seen how in every picture, community. And how many pictures do you have with politicians? I don't have that many. Actually. All right, okay. No, true story. I have yeah. a couple. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but like, almost like, hey, we're just around each other. We'll take a picture. I've never like swarming to get all a right, picture. All right. The only person I ever stood in line to get a picture with was with Ravi Singh. Yes. And that too was recently. Yes. And that was just being respectful of the process. And Ravi Singh I don't need to stand in the line. Yes. You know, I, I couldn't just waltz to the front and, no, I actually I had to stand in line. I'm not that special. Um, he respectfully, with the work he does, yes. I, I'd, I'd stand in line too. So that was it. Yes. That was like the one guy actually went out of my way to take a picture. That was kind of like celebrity-ish. But Ravi Singh himself would say, Stop treating me like a celebrity. You yes. guys are all idiots. Yes. Uh, appreciate the work and the principles that we work yes. on. So, uh, fun fact: Baba Janel Singh, when Bibian would try and take to him, kept uh, stones in his pocket and would just. That's amazing. Chuck them at the yeah. That's amazing. This is also a practice we've been doing uh, as a pant. We've been doing this for <laughs> for decades now. So not new, but we can work on it. Yes. Yes. We've well, gone way off topic. But, no, no. Yeah, I'm going. Man, we still try, way try off and topic. bring it back. Bring no, it that's back. fine. I'm not even like trying to elegantly bring this back. Okay. Just going back to the, the topic of like the double standard that's been applied yes. by the media. And and those there was actually what I kind of want to end with this is that there was a very robust conversation that uh, moved over to Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happened with a particular journalist uh, that was covering the story. Uh, and at the end, actually, you know, She's like, she was actually fairly apologetic. Like, mm-hmm. look, I wasn't trying to reproduce Terakota's tweet uncritically. I mm-hmm. wasn't trying to, you know, mind my, my Punjabi here. I wasn't trying to shit on these kids. Yeah. Um, what I was trying to do was like, for me, I'm just a military nerd. I saw protocol wasn't be followed and yes, I just started I following that. up on it. Um, so it just goes to show like being willing to have those robust conversations with journalists is an important tool in our chest uh, to help drive the narratives. And that is a big piece of what we try to do here on Ask Canadian Six, not just on our podcast, but the panels and other work that we do. Today, we're very honored to be joined by Jatinder Singh, the National Director for Kalsa Aid Canada. And we're here to speak about Lapata and the Left Behind, this exhibit that's been put on in Vancouver, uh, which documents, documents the mass enforce disappearance and devastation of Sikhs in India. Jitinder Singh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on your podcast. 
Um, you know, we've heard about the Ask Canadian Six initiative and all the success you guys have had, but it's great to see this podcast and just Brie and yourself are doing a wonderful job. So thanks for having me. No, the pleasure is all large, Jinder Singh. Uh, and I guess the first question is what inspired this exhibit? So we just wrapped up our first uh, launch of the Lapta and the Left Behind exhibit. We did it in uh, downtown Vancouver. Um, it was an emotional ride for us. Um, the project itself started just over a year ago. Um, it was kind of the brainwave of Canwa, our global coordinator in the UK. So Carlsa Aid actually provides pensions to just over 230 families or Shaheed Bravad in Punjab. And we knew that International Day that Disappeared was coming up at the end of August last year. And we decided let's do a digital um, exhibit showcasing these families and just showing the human side of what's happened to them since their loved one passed away. So my understanding is that this started off as a digital exhibit and then made the leap into a physical manifestation of it. How did that happen and you know, what additional work had to happen for that to become possible? So what happened after the digital exhibit and you know, the vile nature of it, we had so many people asking to see it in physical form, we decided to go back uh, into Punjab and visit more families, get more stories, and we obviously focused on those who were Lapata or disappeared. So those families who never received their you know, loved one's body because Punjab police had obviously uh, cremated or, or un, you know, horrifically thrown their bodies into canals and did things like that. And uh, we actually um, commissioned Abhishek Madhukar, who is an award-winning um, journalist, photo and video journalist, He'd done a few other projects with us. He's very passionate about working with those who are disadvantaged in society. And so he went out twice um, to go and photograph these families. And then our Kalsay team went and interviewed them at the same time. I mean, it was quite a difficult thing for them to do. Um, I mean, in fact, in the second trip that they went out and when they interviewed uh, our second cohort of families, they all ended up getting typhoid fever and had to, you know, rush back to Delhi and, uh, you know, recuperate from that. So it, it was tough on them emotionally and physically to go across Punjab interviewing all of these families. So why did you or the Calls 18 feel it's important to tell this story in the way that you did? So after all of that work had been done in Punjab, um, our Metro Vancouver team then um, decided to source a gallery. We intentionally focused on uh, downtown Vancouver. We wanted as broad an audience as possible um, to hear about the human rights abuses in Punjab and what happened. You know, we're a humanitarian group, whether we're dealing with, um, you know, Yazidis or Syrian refugees or Rohingya Muslims or Sikhs. Um, we want all of their voices to be heard. Uh, and one of, the, one of the most important things that we found was that when we go visit refugees or those who've been affected by human rights abuses, they just want people to hear about what's happened to them. They not only want justice, but they want the broader world to know. And we took that angle and that approach. Um, we've done a Yazidi exhibit before where we talked about the Yazidi group. This time we obviously talked about something that was you know, more closer to home for us as six. And uh, that's what we decided to do. So we ended up sourcing a gallery in uh, downtown Vancouver in Yelltown. And 
we you know got sponsorship for it we typically set aside our um aid money specifically for aid um but this as as an art exhibit you know we got a separate uh, sponsorship for this so we um opened on uh, friday um last weekend and it ran till tuesday and we ended up actually extending into wednesday one of the things that have really stood out about this exhibit is the professional manner it's been put together, uh, but also the wide uh, mainstream coverage of it. Um, you've, you've done a phenomenal job of getting this uh, broad coverage and, and spots and spaces that may have not traditionally spent this much ink on this issue. You know, how did you guys pull that off? One of the things we found that we were so focused on our media launch, we'd hired a PR firm to talk about messaging, to talk to some of the journalists who are more focused on the art scene so we could talk to them about this exhibit. We also um, worked with Abhishek to, you know, little things like source the right paper. He wanted us to use an archival paper from a German paper company that's been around for about 500 years and that's exactly what we did. And, you know, we wanted the quality to be at the highest level and we saw that come through. Um, a lot of our art galleries have now started contacting us um, to see if they can show the, the exhibit, if we can show the exhibit in their galleries, which is almost unheard of, especially for our community as well. Um, but, you know, like new parents, we were focused on the birth, on the launch. We weren't ready for the day after that, um, all of the emotion. And that actually shook us. Uh, we've been dealing with almost four days of people just crying, being tearful, whether they're sick or non-sick. I think one of the goals uh, for the exhibit was to use it as a teaching moment for those, uh, not just in our community, but outside of our community, to learn more about the 1984 uh, genocide. Uh, do you think you were able to achieve that goal with this? What we found was that a lot of people, um, especially in the sick community who were younger, had a vague idea of what happened. Um, you know, what happened in 1984 and in 1985 with Air India, um, especially within Canada, um, is the main focus um, of people. That's what they know about. They don't realize that for, you know, a decade afterwards, up until, you know, the mid-90s, that people in Punjab, uh, you know, predominantly Sikhs, were just being picked up by Punjab police and getting murdered and disappearing in these extrajudicial killings and kind of enforced disappearances. So a lot of them did not know. Some of the young, younger Sikhs who came through um, said, you know, I, I know that a relative was picked up or tortured, my mama or my chacha, but the family doesn't talk about it. And that was a bit of an eye-opener for us. I'm obviously slightly a bit older, so I kind of lived through it at a distance, watching what was happening in Punjab, watching my father read the local Punjabi paper in the UK and every week seeing more dead bodies. So I kind of lived through it from a distance as a teenager. But for obviously for a lot of the, the younger six now who were born in the 90s and onwards, for them it's history. So they don't really know about it. They never had that experience of watching what was happening in Punjab as it kind of spiralled into, you know, into this hellhole um, with this kind of, you know, what I call like a slow drip genocide going on for a decade. So for them, it was a, it was a massive eye opener. A lot of the non-Sikhs who came through, for them, it was shocking. They didn't know about it. All they had heard about was 
you know, what happened in 84 and 85, and they just did not know, you know, that six were being picked up and, and killed en masse. So it was, it was definitely an eye-opener for them as well. So what has the community reaction been to this? Uh, what has been the, the numbers of uh, attendees that have gone through the gallery and uh, taken part of uh, this exhibit? I mean, one of the interesting things that's happened is that just in five days of this being open, we had over 1,200 people come through. Now, just to give the kind of geography, you know, the vast majority of Sikhs do live in Surrey, in the lower mainland in Vancouver, and that's a good 45 to 50 minute drive from there to Yelltown. So a lot of people came through, um, you know, they just drove down, they saw in the media what we were doing and they just needed to see for themselves, you know, these human stories of these mothers and fathers who've lost their loved one, you know, usually their son and uh, how they suffered over the, you know, the last 20 years without them, you know, not only the the emotional toil of not having your loved one's body back, not getting a death certificate, but also the economic pressures put on them that, you know, they lost a breadwinner, someone who would have been at their side and their family would have economically, de you know, developed and they've just lost that person. And so they've struggled financially, which is why we, you know, Casa Aid provides them with a pension. And, uh, you know, but they they have no justice. They, you know, all they have are these kind of the odd photo, you know, some of these, were children you know so what one of the shaheeds was as young as 17 um so all they have is the odd photo here and there they're living in near poverty and that human story you know if you set aside the politics just that the the weight of that human story comes through and whether you're sick or non-sick whether you're um on one side of you know a political argument or another you feel their story and you feel for them. And that's what came through to us. I mean, our volunteers had to deal with a lot of tears, a lot of emotions from six, non-six, from young to old. And, uh, you know, a lot of people came through. They asked us a lot of questions. They asked, you know, what can we do? What's the call to action? And we just said the call to action for this is just tell more people. Let more people understand this story. And it's not just about six. This story is happening in for Rohingya Muslims, it's happening for the Yazidis, it's happening for Syrian refugees. You know, th th this is a human story. This is, this is one group that's, you know, suffered and they're still waiting for justice, but it's happening across the globe. And for us as Kasa, it's something we're dealing with, you know, on a daily basis. So what's next? Where is uh, this exhibit going uh, and what are your plans for its future? So going forward, I mean, we've had a lot of... Uh, uh, messages and emails asking for this exhibit to come to other towns. Um, we're in discussion with a curator in Toronto um, to bring it in the fall. And uh, we're just working through to source an, uh, an art gallery um, in the downtown Toronto area, um, which will see good foot traffic and will, you know, give the exhibit the respect it deserves. You know, it's, it's very high quality and we don't want to um, lessen what we did in Vancouver, you know, in, in other areas. We want as broad an audience as possible to know about 
what's happened to, to, to the Sikhs in Punjab during the 80s and 90s. And then we're looking in Ottawa. We've already had a lot of interest in New York. And uh, we're also looking at um, a couple of places in California. One of the things we, we, we have to do with these is we want to bring what I call a subject matter expert. So we had Dr. Ami Laws come from Stanford University. She'd gone to Punjab in the 90s after she saw that a lot of um, people were coming into uh, the US and seeking political asylum and claiming torture. But she said that when she looked at them physically and externally, there was no signs of torture. But a lot of the stories were consistent. So she went into Punjab in 97, interviewed, I think, just over 200 um, victims of torture, understood their stories, understood the torture, torture techniques and what had been done to them. And then she came back and published a paper. And uh, she then became an expert um, used by the government in the US for anyone seeking um, political asylum from Punjab in the 90s and later. And if they claimed torture, she would be able to substantiate that claim with the evidence that she had of of the techniques that had been used in Punjab by the police. So we want um, every exhibit to have a subject matter expert like that come and explain, you know, their evidence. So we're looking at other um, kind of scholars as well. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of uh, things that have to be done um, uh, just for each launch in each city. So that's why we've given ourselves a bit of time to do it properly, not to rush it. There's been a lot of people you know wanting it to come to their cities as soon as possible uh, and that's great for us and we're really you know proud of the fact that our community so desperately wants to see this they feel like you know this was something that they felt embarrassed about or shy about and they just couldn't talk about but this has given them the ability to talk about what's happened in their families for younger six to understand what happened to their mama or their chacha or their parents in Punjab and why they ran to Canada I mean Canada is a beacon of hope for many you know from Vietnamese um, you know boat people to the six a lot of people have come here and sought asylum and uh, you know so there are hundreds and hundreds of these stories just within Canada of families that were affected by what happened in Punjab. Thank you very much Jatinder Singh for taking the time out to speak to us uh, especially carving time out of your day uh, where you could be spending it in uh, your beautiful hometown of Victoria, BC. Uh, we appreciate this and uh, we hope uh, you continue success with this exhibit. Well, thanks very much for having me and uh, I look forward to um, seeing everyone in Toronto when we launch it there and in all the other cities and, uh, and uh, more success to uh, this podcast and the Ask Canadian Six initiative. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's it for episode three of Ask Canadian Six, the podcast. We made it through another month, another podcast. You know what? There's actually topics that we can't talk about here. And sometimes I feel like we have to condense topics I want to spend more time There's on. There's so much that happens in the month that involves sick Canadians. Yeah, we really had to leave some big things out. Yeah. So look, we have constant conversations online uh, on Twitter. You can follow at, at WorldSickOrg. That's the handle for essentially organization across multiple platforms. And anything you want us to, you want to flag for us, so we talk about it in the next podcast. Just tag either one of us or use the hashtag AskCanadianSix. Yeah, it, it, don't be shy. Like you can email me, Sandhu at WorldSick.org, or call him at his cell phone <laughs> number at. <laughs> 
I, I don't really pick up my phone, to, to be honest, to be very frank. I don't really pick up phone calls. You're not Terry Molesky. You don't put your cell phone number out there. No, the I don't put it use. in public for yes. uh, to open myself up to prank calls. Um, no, but you could DM me uh, on Twitter, at jsing, J-A-Y-S-I-N-G-H underscore zero one. Or even DM just a World Sick Org account. It goes through us anyways, and we see everything. Uh, if you have topics that you think we should cover, please let us know. We're always interested to hear local stories as well across Canada. Um, with that, thank you again for taking the time out to listen. Bye. 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 Bye